Um, put the uh, slide up again that we use uh, on our live stream, the title slide, amen. Um, and the title of the message this morning is The Power of Response Part 2. The Power of Response Part 2. And I need to correct something that I said uh, last week. Is I think I attributed the lion quote uh, to C.S. Lewis, and it's actually uh, Charles Haddon C.H. Spurgeon um, who made that comment about the Word of God, of course, the lion from the tribe of Judah, Jesus, the Word made flesh, and that he doesn't need to be caged or defended. He just needs to be unleashed. Amen. And so that's uh, our desire this morning is to uh, release, impart, present to you the truth uh, from the Word of God that will impact your life and make a difference uh, uh, for you. Praise God. All right, Romans chapter 8, and um, I think I'm just going to read this first verse. Let's just read verse 31. Uh, We're going to come back to a lot of these, um, but we've gotten a little bit ahead of ourselves, and so we're trying to course correct and and do some groundwork, uh, lay some foundation first, uh, before we look at um, all of these verses uh, again. Um, But one of the things that we see when we talk about the power of response is that the Word of God has uh, some... Uh, planned responses for us. Um, Brother Copeland said something at a minister's conference some time ago that really uh, clarified some things for me, and it's real simple, but it's, but it's, it's, again, helped me better understand my assignment. And he said that the prophet's job is to give the people something to say. The prophet's job is to give the people something to say. Amen. And so I try to, like good things coming, you know, I, I hardly am around anybody that I know anymore that doesn't, at some point or another, respond to me, good things coming. Most of you, when you send a text message to me before I can send it back to you, you send it to me. Amen. And I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I'm just trying to say um, that's something we say, and it's become a part of, of what we say. Hopefully it's become more than just words. It's become an attitude. It's become an approach to life that Jesus is our high priest, and he's the high priest of good things to come. And no matter what's going on in the world around us, it's our birthright as sons and daughters of God to expect things to get better and to continue to improve um, in every area and aspect of our lives. Amen. And so a lot of times we'll, we'll take little things that we say around here and, and, and present them to you uh, in ways that would be memorable and make a difference in your life because what we say... Uh, and, and in a broader sense, how we respond is extremely important, extremely important in our lives. And so um, Romans 8 and 31 through, well, 31 through 39, again, we're not going to read through all those verses, but what we have in those verses are seven um, very specific responses that we need to learn, seven ways to respond to seven different major life events, um, things in life, like, for instance, this verse 31, what then shall we say to these things if God is for us, who can be against us? And so what is he giving us to say here? What is he, what is he instructing us to respond to? He's talking about how we respond to the challenges that we face in life. And we need to respond to the challenges that we face in life, not by forgetting who's for us, but by remembering who's for us. Amen. Now, the other thing, and I'm going to just kind of review a few things very quickly this morning, but 
the, the key that, that may be new for some of you, may be old hat for the rest of you, um, is that it's important for us to say something. I'm not saying that, that and the Bible is not imp- you know, saying that the only thing you need to do is say something, but the first thing you need to do is you need to open up your mouth and you need to speak. Amen. And so many times, you know, we, we do this, we open up our mouths and we say something negative. We open up our mouths and we agree with what the enemy's trying to, to, to do against us. We open up our mouths and we complain. And, and we don't think anything about that. But then when the Word of God says, no, you need to deliberately, intentionally uh, say and speak uh, some carefully crafted words in response to what it is that the enemy's trying to do in your life, we think that's just unreasonable. Um, when you know, seamlessly we're responding to these things and the devil is manipulating the words that come out of our mouth, the actions that we take in response to so many things in life, and he's doing it right under our noses and we, and we don't even realize it. Because so many of the, of the things that, that we respond to and the ways that we respond to them have been programmed into us over many, many years. And, and um, I know I asked you this last week, I'm going to ask you again, um, are you becoming more aware of the way you respond? That to me is at least half the battle, that we begin to recognize the way we respond to people, the way we respond to situations. Um, you know, why does it make you feel the way it makes you feel if somebody cuts you off in traffic? I mean, you can, in the car by yourself, you can holler and scream and say all kinds of things about, you know, their heritage and blah, blah. But again, the bigger question is, why does that affect you that way? What insecurity in you? What pride is it in you? What fear is it in you? These, these are the, the valuable clues um, that I pray uh, the Holy Spirit helps all of us, myself included, become aware of and, and, and that we learn uh, from the way we respond to certain things and people and, and situations. So again, some of those things are programmed into us. I remember in... Um, uh, I took it as an elective, I think. Um, in college, I had to take a first aid course. And I say I had to. I didn't have to. I chose to take it. Um, but again, you, I got the CPR certification and all that from it, so I thought it would be something good to, to take. And so um, they you know, showed us different injuries and things. And, um, and the professor would always you know, say, before he would show some first aid video, he says, now look, you, you may see some things here that may make you feel a little squeamish or... Or, or, or what have you, um, whatever you do, don't get up and leave the room. Just, if it's bothering you, just put your head on your desk and don't look at it. He said, I've had people, you know, they get up and try to leave the room and they wind up passing out and hurting themselves and things of this nature. He says, so, and he, and he would say that every time, and I thought, that's the silliest thing. You know, I mean, who's going to run out of here and fall down, you know? I mean, that, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever, you know? And so, um, I, again, I'm not trying to gross some of you out, but it, I, we saw some pretty gruesome things. Um, for some reason, though, he showed this film. It was probably produced in the 1970s. I mean, it was one of those, you know. I mean, it was. You know, I mean, it was so outdated. It was so old, you know. And you know, everybody had on suits, you know, and they talked real professional, you know. So, so and and it was somebody who didn't even really have a broken leg. But they were talking about what to do and how to respond to someone who has a compound fracture in their leg. Guess who got up and ran out of the room? <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. I started getting sick. 
I, I started getting dizzy. The room started spinning. And I said, okay, put my head on my desk. I put my head on my desk. I could still hear that man talking about that bone sticking out of that leg. And I said, I don't care what that professor said. I got to get out of here, and I got to get out of here now, okay? Well, you say, Pastor Mark, why did that bother you and all the other stuff didn't bother you? Because I've broken both my legs. You, are you following what I'm saying, okay? <laughs> At different times when I was younger. And so hearing them talk about that and, and what to do about that, it was eliciting a response in me that had been programmed into me. Are you following what I'm saying, right? Now, I'm sitting there, I, I like get to the bathroom, and I'm like, golly, you know, I'm like, I'm splashing water on my face, you know. I'm thinking, I need to go get me a Mountain Dew or something, you know, out of that, out of that snack machine. And, you know, and I'm trying to, like, get myself together here, and I'm like, Lord, you're going to have to help me, because I, I thought I was going to pass out. I did not, please hear me, I, I had absolutely no expectation of that affecting me that way, all right? But it was a response, okay? And it was, a, it was an automatic response. It was something that was programmed into me. Are you, are you understand what I'm saying, okay? And so, of course, I'm like, Lord, you know, and I started thinking about when my, you know, was hurt when I was younger and things of this nature. And, um, and of course, I'm, I'm, I'm saying I'm over that now. I'm over that now in Jesus' name, praise God, you know. Um, but... Uh, other things that would be far more serious in nature as far as injuries are concerned, um, you know, doesn't bother me at all. Even like the sight of blood and things, some people just freak out at that. Doesn't bother me at all. Um, but that, for whatever reason. So I can't believe I told you that story, but I'm just trying to show you, again, that we need to become aware of our responses, and we need to, be, we need to ask the Lord, Father, this shouldn't affect me this way. Why does why this bother me so bad? Why? Why does this irritate me so much? Why, why does the way that lady laughs annoy me? Right? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Because other people in your office can laugh, and it doesn't annoy you. Let me tell you what I'm finding out also in, in my life, and, and we're, hopefully we'll get to this this morning. If not, we'll get to it next week. Sometimes things uh, annoy you because they're spiritual. Sometimes things you know, are an irritant to you because what's going on behind the scenes is something demonic in nature, and it's, and it's affecting you spiritually. Some things affect you spiritually, some things affect you emotionally, some things affect you mentally, some things affect you physically, right? So we, we, we need to start paying attention to the way things affect us and how we feel compelled to respond. I know that I'm kind of just throwing a bunch of stuff out here this morning, but some of this stuff is just been churning over and over in my heart, and I feel like it, it just needs to be said, whether we develop it more in the future or not. Um, there's, you hear a lot of talk in our, in our world. You, you've always heard it, but with just the season in which we're living and, 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 and all that's going on in our world around us, you hear people using this idea of coping uh, more and more frequently. You know, how are you coping? How are you, how are you managing and so, again, I want you to think about ways that we may have coped with crisis or situations or issues in the past. Because what is a coping mechanism if it's not a response to some stressor in our lives? In other words, how do we cope, right? And, and what's happening more and more in our world today is people are coping with pharmaceuticals. People are trying to manage their responses by uh, ingesting chemicals. Um, some people cope by spending money. 
Some people cope by eating high-fat, high-carbohydrate-based foods. Some people cope. Are you following what I'm saying? Right? We don't call them comfort foods for nothing here in the South. Are you following me? Because high-fat, high-carbohydrate foods release something called dopamine into your bloodstream. It's the feel-good hormone. It's the feel-good neurochemical, right? And so, again, that's, I, I'm not proud of this. I'm just telling you, um, I sometimes have been known to, in the past, <laughs> to respond to stress by eating, by eating. I, and I became aware of this one day back in the cabinet shop days. We had, you know, we were hemorrhaging money, and... Um, we had a situation on a job that had to be done in order to get paid, and we needed to get paid in order to pay other bills and things of this nature. And um, I, I remember, this was back, thank God they got that Krispy Kreme out of Fairfield, right? Um, I remember sitting, I, I, did, I went through, you know, I got the, the, the I, I got six, I didn't get 12, I got six. And, um, and I'm sitting out in my truck just slamming them, I mean, you know what I'm saying? And I'm going, why? What are you doing? You know, again, right? But it was st- stress. And I was coping with the stress because I needed a shot of dopamine. And the way I get my dopamine, amen, <laughs> thank God it's not heroin, uh, but I get my dopamine um, uh, with, are you following what I'm saying? Some of you look at me like I'm crazy. But again, it's a response. The devil never wants you to connect the, your behaviors and, and especially your, your, your negative behaviors or your negative emotions with responses but it's exactly it's exactly what they are and it's one of the fundamental ways that he tries to work against you and manipulate you and and ultimately affect what he only comes to do still kill and destroy so when he says what then shall we say to these things he's asking you a question he's asking you how are you going to respond what are you going to say because what you say is the difference between winning and losing What you say is the difference between being a part of the answer or being a part of the problem. How you respond, literally, and it's not, we we made this case last week, how you respond, it's not an exaggeration to say, is is a matter of life and death. It's the difference between victory and defeat. It's the difference between winning and losing. It's the difference between literally um, living and dying. Now, I want to put another passage up on the screen here. Matter of fact, let me do this first. So your response is the difference between victory and defeat. I had a lot more review to do, but amen, we'll get to that at another time. Your response is the difference between victory and defeat. Don't just, don't just rush through that, okay? Because how you respond in a situation is going to determine the outcome, at least as far as you're concerned, in that situation. Whether you win or whether you lose. How you respond. Your response is the difference between victory and defeat. It's not an exaggeration to say your response is a matter of life and death. Let me prove it to you. Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. I want to show you this in Scripture this morning. Praise God. Mark the fifth chapter. Now, um, we spent some time uh, last year preaching from these verses. But if you're not familiar with them, um, Jesus is hard at work uh, in... (laughs) In Mark chapter 5, he's doing what Jesus does, what Jesus did then and what he still does today and what he'll be doing tomorrow, amen. And that's healing people and setting people free and loving people and helping people who need his help. And we see that the ruler of the synagogue, his name was Jairus, um, historically we see that, that he was the, the ruler of the synagogue there in, in Jesus' hometown. 
And so he would have been familiar with Jesus. Jesus would have been familiar with him. I'm not trying to oversimplify these things, but if you think of like the, the, the temple as the, the international headquarters you know, in Israel for the Jewish religion, but then as synagogues being like local churches. Um, and you know, so there were synagogues that were in these individual cities and towns, but then when there were high holy days and things of that nature, they would, they would travel from all around the world even you know, to, to, to worship and to do things in the temple. And, and so Jairus was the ruler of the local synagogue. We could think of him in our way, we might understand it, as just a local pastor. And his daughter was very sick and she was at the point of death. And so the Bible says that Jairus came and he didn't just ask Jesus to come, but as you know, symbolizing, expressing his uh, humility, the Bible says that he fell at Jesus' feet and asked Jesus to come to his house because his statement of faith was that if you come uh, to my house and minister to my, to my daughter, that she will live. And so Jesus said, yes, I will come. Now, as Jesus is on his way um, to Jairus' house to heal Jairus' sick daughter, a woman who had been sick for many years herself pushed through the crowd and touched the hem of Jesus' garment. And, and she received healing. And so Jesus stops and he wanted to know who touched him. And the Bible says the crowd was thronging him. And so if the crowd is thronging him, the disciples looked at Jesus and like, man, there's probably 500 people touching you right now or trying to. How are you asking me? And Jesus says, no, somebody touched me because he felt the healing virtue or the healing power that was in him leave him and go into someone. And so this woman confessed that it was her. And the Bible says that, that she was healed. And Jesus said it was her faith that made her whole, okay? Now, as all of this is going down, a messenger comes from Jairus' house, and he says to Jairus, Jairus, don't trouble the teacher, the master anymore. Um, there's no need for him to come. Your daughter that was sick is now dead. Your daughter has died, okay? And so this is, um, this is where we pick up the story, verse 35. While he was still speaking, he capitalized being Jesus, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead, why trouble the teacher any further? Okay? Now, I want you to pay close attention to the way Jesus responded to this and the way Jairus responded to this. Now, I think anyone in here would have to agree that this is like the most horrific, devastating, um, unimaginable uh, news that Jairus could have received, okay? And Jesus put his arm around Jairus and he said, it's okay, buddy, she's in a better place. Is that, is that what he said? Is that how he responded to this? Did he respond by saying, look, I, I was trying my best, but it just didn't work out for you. It must not have been my Father's will. But it's going to be okay. Is that, is that how Jesus responded? No. As soon as Jesus heard the word, notice, I think one translation says, immediately. In other words, before anybody else could say anything, 
As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. Do not be afraid, only believe. Okay? Now, listen to me very carefully. Listen to me very carefully. I've been telling you that how you respond is the difference between victory and defeat, and it's not an exaggeration to say your response, your response will be the difference even between life and death. If Jairus' response to the message he received did not matter, then Jesus would either not have addressed it or would have simply told Jairus, don't pay any attention to him, J.R. She's dead, but I'm going to heal her. Just, just hang in here, and, and it's going to be better in the end. He would have even said something like that. This is what I believe the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me. I, 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 I believe it's what Jesus himself spoke to my heart about this. If Jairus's response didn't matter, I would have consoled him instead of coaching him. Right? Jesus didn't go into consolation. He didn't go into trying to console him. He didn't say, come here, let me give you a hug. Come here, man, I'm so sorry. No, I'm not, listen, I'm not saying that we shouldn't do those things. If you, I'm, not, I'm not being callous up here, okay? Hear me? I'm not being callous up here. We've all experienced different kinds of losses, some more than others in our lives. So I'm not trying to rake off any any scabs or scars or wounds or anything like that that you may have been through in your life. I'm I'm simply trying to show you something here that's very, very important, okay? Jesus did not slip into consolation. He He didn't console Jairus, he coached him. Because Jesus knew that if Jairus would respond in faith and not allow panic and fear to overwhelm him and start coming out of his mouth. And Lord, what Jairus was about to say to these things was going to determine whether or not Jairus' daughter uh, remained dead or, or lived. Are you seeing this? So he, he didn't console him, he coached him. He said as, as soon as he heard, I believe, and I believe it went something like this. I believe Jesus, and I'm, listen, I have a vivid imagination, full confession, right? Um, Maybe it didn't go like this or not, but I believe the attitude, whether the action reflected it or not, was Jesus grabbing him by the, 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 the collar of his robe, pulling him close and saying something like this, Look at me, Jairus. Look at me. Look in my eyes right now. That, in other words, he's like, get a hold of yourself here. Look at me. Do not fear. Only believe. Only believe. Okay? Now, here is the part that we don't have specifically stated here, but we know because we have the rest of the Bible to teach us, okay? Who gets extra grace? The humble. What had Jairus done? Jairus was a respected man. Jairus was, again, a high-ranking official in, in the Jewish religion. He was the ruler of a synagogue. And yet he has fell at the feet of, of, a, of, a, of a carpenter from Nazareth. I, do I need to remind you what some of Jairus' colleagues said and thought about Jesus? What their response to Jesus was? But not Jairus. Jairus didn't call him a demon-possessed Samaritan. Jairus fell at his feet. He humbled himself. 
right? See, we, we look at this and we're thinking, there is no way, how in the world could Jairus only believe in this situation? God gave him the grace to only believe in that situation because he chose to humble himself in that moment. So we see Jesus' response. Jesus responded by, by saying, you know, Jairus, now listen, this is serious. This is serious. Only believe. But now, I want you to pay very close attention to how Jairus responded. And you're like, well, Pastor Mark, we, don't, we really don't see any response from him. <laughs> exactly. He chose not to say anything other than, listen to me now, other than what he had already said to these things. What had he already said to these things? If you come to my house, my daughter will live. That's what he said. And he wasn't about to say anything else. That's what he said. That's what he stood on. Jesus got him. Get a hold of yourself. Only believe. And of course, you know how the story went. They go, and Jesus is able to raise his daughter from the dead. Now you say, well, Pastor Mark, wouldn't Jesus have been able to do that even if J. Iris had a fellow pieces. Based on what we see in other places in the scripture, the answer to that question is no. He would not have been able to do it. You say, Pastor Mark, he's Jesus, he can do anything. Well, read Mark 6. He went to his own hometown. Those people did not give him the place, did not respond to him, did not open their hearts to him, did not give him the place that he deserves, his word place that he deserves in his life. And the Bible says he could do no mighty miracle there among them. Not that he wouldn't, but that he could not do any mighty work, any mighty miracle among them. Are you still with me this morning? I feel some of you slipping away now. Come on, stay with me for a few more minutes. I know we got communion here in just a second. All right? Now, how you respond... How you respond determines whether or not you live in the victory that is the birthright of every born-again believer. How you respond. Now, amen, I'm trying to get to some key verses this morning. Let me... Thank you, Jesus. We mentioned this last week. Let me bring it up again. And I want to... It requires some explanation. And and so, again, I want... I want to you to hear me all the way through okay i want you to hear me all the way through don't just hear part of what i'm about to say hear me all the way through okay when it comes to the to the things that other people say and do we do not have control of that we do not have authority over other people or human beings now again if you want to nitpick everything i'm saying understand as a parent you have authority over your children but guess what if your children choose to rebel against you you can punish you can this you can that but it's still they have that ability that right to choose ultimately in the end whatever course in life that 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 they want to take okay so a lot of times the enemy tries to make us feel helpless when we find ourselves in situations that we seemingly have no control over. But the one thing that you always have control over is how you respond. You can't prevent somebody from treating you, bullying you. I mean, obviously, I'm not saying that we shouldn't confront. You know, sometimes, you know, back to how we respond, um, 
you know, sometimes people are too confrontational. Sometimes people are just looking for a fight. Are you hearing me? Other times, other times, maybe you're more like me. You don't, you don't like confrontation, and so you avoid it at all cost. And think that you're taking the higher road of maturity and, uh, and, 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 and being a peacekeeper. Jesus didn't tell you to be a peacekeeper. He told you to be a peacemaker. And sometimes in order to make peace, right, you've got to confront some things. Amen. All right? But remember, we always speak the truth in love. In other words, when we, when we say that, that we don't control what other people do, ultimately we do not. All right? But the one thing that we have control over in every situation is how we respond. How we respond, okay? And so I believe, listen to me very carefully, I believe that we can take control of our lives by taking control of the way we respond. Now, the reason I'm asking you to hear me through all the way to the end is you say, well, wait a second, Pastor Mark, I thought we were supposed to turn control of our life over to the Lord. And if you thought that, then you would be correct in the sense that we're to humble ourselves and submit ourselves to Him. So when we talk about taking control of the way we respond and therefore taking control of our lives, what we're ultimately saying is, are we going to allow Jesus, His Word, His ways, His example to influence the way we respond? Or are we going to allow the enemy, His lies, the things of this world, the way this world manages things and deals with things, are we going to allow that to influence the way we respond? It, It simply boils down to, you know, the response is your choice. But if you're going to take control of your responses and therefore take control of your life, we're talking about allowing the Word of God to have the final say in the way you respond to situations, to people, to circumstances, to issues in your life, on your jobs, in your family. We could go on and on with that. Is this making sense to you? So I don't want to to sound like, you know, some kind of, you know, mind over matter, new age guru, just... Take control of your responses and take control of your life, right? You know, late night infomercial, send me $39.95 and I'll send you the 14 DVD set. That's, no, no, that's, that's, not what, that's not what I'm saying here, okay? But what it, what it does boil down to is, that's why Jesus is telling Jairus, Jairus, don't panic, don't let fear take control of you and influence what... what, what you know, you could potentially say and how you could potentially respond. Only believe. And if you're going to say anything other than what you've already said, make sure it's as strong a statement of faith as your first statement of faith. Because how you respond is is going to make the difference between winning and losing, victory and defeat, or even life and death. So how you respond determines whether or not you live in the victory that is birthright of every born-again believer. The Bible clearly says things like, whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Do you realize this morning that if you're a born-again believer, you're just as free as Jesus? You're just as free from sin as Jesus is free from sin. You say, oh, Pastor Mark, I don't know about that. I still struggle with sin. Okay? But notice, it's how you're responding to temptation. You're free from sin, but if you're going to live free from sin... You're going to have to take control of the way you respond. Are you seeing this? 
Now, Father loves you. Don't misunderstand me. We've been teaching on some of this down at the foundry of late. And, and Jesus clearly said to the Jews who believed him in, in, in John 8 that, that a, a, a slave uh, does not abide in the Father's house, but a son, a son abides in the Father's house forever. What you've got to understand about Jesus is he didn't just come to change your behavior. He came to change you. He came to take you uh, as a slave and make you a son. Now, a slave and a son both have the capacity to disobey their father or disobey their master. Are you understand what I'm saying? But if Jesus makes you a son, amen, you abide in the house forever, even if you still occasionally commit a sin. Amen. So how, how, are, we, how are we going to respond? Right? If you're going to live in victory... The key to that is letting the Holy Spirit and the Word of God help you with your responses. Oh, praise God. All right, singers, musicians, uh, come on, we're going to, amen, we're going to do, you know, I always think we've still got to serve communion, but we don't, we, it's already served, so this part goes a little quicker, amen. I might still talk for a minute after y'all get up here, so if you need to get me in the monitors, whatever you need to do, all right. Oh, praise God. All right, so I'm, I'm jumping down about six verses. This is where we will be, in Jesus' name, unless the Holy Spirit leads otherwise. This is where we'll be next Sunday morning. But I want to remind you of something, okay? The Bible tells you and me to stand against the devil. Does it not? That we have an adversary, he's like a roaring lion, he's sinking whom he may destroy... Okay, And the Bible doesn't just warn us about him, but the Bible tells us how to defeat him. Now, when I say defeat him again, I feel like that statement itself needs a little bit of clarification because Jesus has already defeated him for you. Are you hearing me? Jesus has already stomped a mud hole in the devil himself and every one of his demons. And he won the victory over them on your behalf. He did it for you as you. So this is why he's going to sit on his throne in heaven until every enemy is put under his feet. It's not enough for these things to be under his chin. He's, he's going to reign on His throne in heaven until these things are put under the body of Christ. Until we take the victory that He won for us and learn how to translate that victory into everyday victory in our daily lives. And so many of the body of Christ think the only reason Jesus died on that cross was to get us into heaven one day when we die. Certainly, He did that to secure our eternal destination. But Jesus bled to death naked on the cross so that you could live in victory every day of your life right here on planet earth no matter what's going on in the world around you. But the only way we're ever going to experience that victory is if we learn how to respond to what the enemy, our adversary, See, he, he suckers us in every time if we let Him. So Ephesians 6 tells us to stand. James 4 tells us to stand. 1 Peter 5 tells us to stand. We'll look at those verses next week. Here's the thing that I want to just, I want to give you and then we'll dig into it more in, in, in next week. The Bible says to put on the whole armor of God. Anybody ever heard that? Okay. Anybody know what we're suiting up for? 
We're suiting up for battle, but battle specific. The Bible's very specific about what we're suiting up for. The wiles of the devil. We're not suiting up to fight the devil. We're suiting up to defend ourselves against his schemes, his methods, his approach, his tactics. Okay? Do you realize that every single tactic the devil uses against you involves trying to elicit some wrong response from you? There is no tactic that he uses that does not involve an effort from him to get some wrong response from you. So we're suiting up in that armor so that we can stand against his efforts to get you, to get me to respond in a wrong way. Amen? See, it puts it all in a different perspective when you understand it that way. See, we understand, put on the whole armor. Put on the whole armor for what? That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. What are the wiles of the devil? His tactics, his schemes, how he tries to do, his methods, his systematic approach. It's all that, what that word means. Every bit of those, every, no, there's nothing you can name. Well, the devil's trying to get us to sin, right? He's trying to get you to respond to temptation. So we've got to put on the whole armor of God so that we can make the right responses. Amen? All right, stand with me. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. You know, we, we do this on a regular basis here at Heritage. And by the way, if you, if you do not have your emblems, please um, take, go ahead right now. Nobody's going to look at you funny. If you want to take communion for, with us, the, there's plenty of this on the back um, table. We do this on a regular basis around here because Jesus instructed us to do it. And it's about a lot of things, but, but, but if we're going to simplify what communion's all about, it's about remembering. It's about keeping in the forefront of, of our minds what's been done for us, what's been given to us, what Jesus, the price that he paid, if you will, for us. Now, I'm not just trying to, you know, all roads lead to a response. But that's ultimately what we're going to see even when we look at, at what it means to put on the whole armor of God. It means to don't respond without first recognizing your righteousness. Don't respond without factoring in what it means to have been given salvation. <laughs> are, you, are you see what I'm talking about? So many times we forget this and we start speaking out of our mouths as if what this represents never happened. Are, are you following me? You realize one of the biggest challenges our, our Father God creator has had throughout the millennia that man, mankind's lived on this planet. It, it, one of his biggest challenges is maintaining a, a memory of himself in the hearts of the people that he created. We have a tendency to get so focused on everything and everybody else that we forget about him. Okay? So Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Amen. So you peel off the, um, the, the, the plastic, the clear plastic first, and we remove the, um, 
the bread. Praise God. I'll give you a chance to do that. All right, let's, let's pray over this bread. Father, as we come before you this morning, we humble ourselves. Lord, thank you for the example that we have in Jairus. He was a man of great reputation. He was a, a man of great authority. But yet he recognized one greater than him. And he humbled himself at the feet of Jesus. And he, and he asked Jesus to do what he knew only Jesus could do. And so, Father, as we hold this bread this morning, we humble ourselves before you. We recognize, Father, that the broken body of Jesus represents something Jesus did for us that only Jesus could do for us. Only Jesus' uh, life could pay the price for ours. And, Father, I thank you that his body was broken so that our individual bodies could be made whole. And his body was broken so that the body of Christ could not only survive but thrive on planet earth for your glory, Lord. And so, Father, we humbly again this morning say thank you for all that Jesus has done for us and all that he's given for us. And, and Lord, as we do this, remembering his broken body, Father, may, may faith rise up in our hearts to receive the healing that he paid such a high price for us to all have today. Jesus, by your stripes, we were healed. And so we receive it now in Jesus' name as we partake together. Let's partake of the bread. Thank you, Jesus. And now we come to the juice. Father, we thank you this morning for this cup. Lord, just a small portion of the juice from some grapes, but Lord, what this represents is beyond our ability to comprehend. The price that was paid, the love that was given, the purity and the holiness of our beautiful Savior, and yet He became our sin so that we could become His purity and His holiness. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And Father, that is one of the main things that we drink to this, this morning. One of the main things that you would have us to remember this morning. The power that's in the blood that this cup represents. Power to save, power to heal, power to deliver, power to make new and to make alive and alive again forever. And so, Father, as we, as we hold this cup, we're reminded of the bitter cup that Jesus drank so that we could stand here before you, right before you, and drink from the sweet cup of your salvation. Father, as we do so, we are reminded that the joys of salvation are greater than the pleasures of sin. And thank you, Father, that we are learning that through the experience of walking and doing life together with you. Father, we drink now in remembrance of what Jesus did for us in his name. Amen. Let's partake of the cup together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. The Bible says that before they were dismissed that they sang a hymn, and so we're going to do that together. If you would like someone to pray with you, I'd be happy to pray with you or someone else. Um, these altars are open. We invite you to come.
Let's work.